Welcome to Relationships as Spiritual Practice, Bridging the Secular and Spiritual, with your host, Lachelle Lowe-Chardet, founder of Mindful Compassionate Dialogue and Wiseheart PDX. Hello, thank you so much for being with me today, for taking time to look at these important pieces in our journey as we live our relationships as a spiritual practice. Today I want to talk about forgiveness. I want to reclaim this word for our purposes here to empower our life and our practice and help us cultivate thriving relationships. Let's begin by looking at the negative associations with this word and practice, and then replace that with more empowering ideas. And then at the end, I would like to relate forgiveness to our spiritual practice and name three central elements of spiritual practice that forgiveness supports. Forgiveness often is associated with violent concepts of deserve, right and wrong. We sometimes are taught that forgiveness means dropping your boundaries and acting as if something was okay or didn't happen. You should forgive that person rather than engaging in a true repair process or protecting yourself. Sometimes we think of forgiveness as a process of restoring someone's goodness. In other words, someone can be good again once you forgive them, but until that time, they're in the bad category. Or you think that yourself, when someone so-and-so forgives me, then I'll be released from the guilt and shame I feel about what I did. Yikes. That idea that your goodness could ever be given or taken away in itself is an extremely violent idea. When we imagine we can take away someone's goodness by withholding forgiveness or any other means, we take the risk of seeing that person as less than human or not worthy of respect and care. And it's from that mind or that idea that violence occurs, right? That we justify violence or oppression. I want to offer a completely different idea of forgiveness. An empowering definition of forgiveness is something you do that releases you from the grips of suffering and anger and returns you to your heart. Let me say that again. I offer 
a process of forgiveness as something you do that releases you from the grips of suffering and anger and returns you to your heart. It is a basic movement from contraction to expansion and flow. Basically, a healing process. It might be a simple definition of healing as well. That there's something that's stuck in your energy, in your body, in your mind, in your heart. And that stuckness is released and replaced with expansion and flow, which is your natural state, of course. Also within this empowering definition or idea of forgiveness, I propose that you are grounding yourself in an inspiring view of humanity. A view as simple as knowing and believing that every living being and every human being wants to be happy. That's pretty simple. And we become even more grounded when we consider the primary ingredients for happiness. Loving others, which allows the receiving of love, contributing to life, having meaning and purpose, and agency. Agency is a word that I like to use to go beyond just that word autonomy or choice. Because it's not quite enough to be aware of a choice. You can become aware of a choice you would like to make and not act on that choice because you require certain internal and external resources to act on that choice. That's my definition of agency. Agency is an awareness of your choice along with the needed internal and external external resources that allow you to choose what's authentic and truly a path to peace and joy. So again, in our empowering definition of forgiveness, it's something you do that releases you from suffering and returns you to your heart. It's a groundedness in the view of others as wanting connection and happiness, just like you. And it's a grounding in this basic understanding of happiness as the ability to access love, both giving and receiving, and the ability to contribute to life and have meaning and purpose. And lastly, a sense of agency, the ability to act on your choice in a way that authentically opens the path to peace and joy. Let's look at our last element here. How does forgiveness relate to spiritual practice? Specifically for our time together here, 
the spiritual practice of relationship, of course. Engaging the process of forgiveness offers an opportunity to strengthen three key aspects of living your relationships as a spiritual practice. Self-care, equanimity, and compassion. To engage with others in a way that truly serves life, of course, means you're taking care of yourself and honoring your own life as well. And related to forgiveness, this means caring for yourself enough that you refuse to ignore stuck places in your body, heart, mind, and energy, and you choose to attend to that suffering and find release. Find the support you need to release that suffering. And when it comes to forgiveness, hmm, we can name a few key things for self-care with regard to finding that release that we're calling forgiveness. The first and most obvious, perhaps, is finding someone to help you process the pain and suffering that you experienced at the hands of someone's behavior. The pain and suffering that's alive in you, present in you, because of an experience of someone doing or saying something that did not meet your needs. That support naturally includes empathy and companionship. Someone who can simply hear you, hear your experience, feel their own care, even feel the pain with you. Offer empathy, offer reflection, give you a sense that your experience is fully understood and seen. So, so important. When we are alone in our suffering, it's very hard for that suffering to be transformed into insight and compassion and self-care. So finding that support. Of course, caring for yourself also means the basics of caring for your body with healthy food and exercise, sleep, rest, movement. And caring for your heart in a regular way by surrounding yourself with people who treat you with a basic sense of respect by setting boundaries with those who speak in tones you find harsh or jarring, who communicate in ways that leave you feeling dysregulated and frustrated. In other words, 
you choose those relationships which support you, and you also choose, consciously choose, relationships that are challenging and you would like to invest in anyway. As a part of your spiritual practice and your own growth, you choose those challenges. And in that way, as you choose them, you balance the amount of support and care coming into your life with the amount of challenge you engage in. So again, choosing to engage in a process of forgiveness is a part of self-care. And self-care is central to living our relationships as a spiritual practice. Let's look at a second aspect that engaging a process of forgiveness helps you to strengthen. Equanimity. Each time you say yes to entering into a healing process, like forgiveness, and you come out the other side, you gain confidence. You gain confidence that you can meet your own suffering and heal. You gain confidence that you can feel pain and be with it and stay with it until it shifts. And you also, because you gain this confidence, you learn to release thoughts that contribute to suffering. Because you see through them, you're not tricked by them, you're not fooled by them. Let's look at a few of those thoughts. Thoughts that contribute to more suffering that block a process of forgiveness are thoughts like, I don't deserve this, or I didn't deserve this, or the flip side, I deserved what happened to me. Those are thoughts mm, of shame and anger that might require years of empathy, or maybe minutes. <laughs> Time is not a variable that produces transformation. I want to be super clear about that. When you say to yourself or someone says, well, it just takes time. Mm, I don't think that's true. <laughs> it's what you do with that time. It's whether you engage practices of regulation and get the support you need and engage practices of contemplation and strengthening your ground. Other thoughts that contribute to more suffering should, any should thought is a thought that is resisting what happened. It shouldn't have happened. It should have been different. They should have known. I should have known better any should thought 
increases suffering. Any enemy images, labels, judgments of the other person puts you in a tighter state of contraction. That person is a monster, a narcissist. They only think of themselves. They're a psychopath. Whatever the labels, labels of what people are, create a state of contraction which leads to your suffering because your natural state is one of flow and expansion. Demands, any form of demand about what's supposed to happen triggers contraction as well. They have to admit they're wrong. They have to say they're sorry. They have to know how I feel. I'm going to make them know how I feel. That enters into revenge, which of course leads to a lot of suffering. This idea that the other person has to admit they're wrong is usually associated with another idea that keeps you trapped and goes in circles. They have to admit they're wrong because I have to have a connection with them. And in order to get the connection, I'm tied to this strategy that they have to admit they're wrong. When you have some sort of rule or idea in your mind that that relationship has to continue, you likely have some very rigid rules about how it should continue. And that creates a circle. If only, any sort of if only thinking creates suffering. It's a a kind of a milder form of resistance. A should has a little more anger, maybe a lot more anger. (laughs) If only thinking has this desperate longing tone to it, and maybe some guilt and self Recrimination, if only I would have known, if only I had thought more first, if only I had dot dot dot, if only my parents would have dot dot dot, and then the if only is always followed by then they wouldn't have done that, then this wouldn't have happened. Sometimes if only is followed by the action of the other person, which is probably going closer to anger. If only they would have, but still has that desperate tone of wanting to live in a different reality than the one that's existing in which this horrible thing happened. Or maybe it wasn't a horrible thing. Forgiveness also applies to the little moments in life in which we miss a tune or don't meet someone's need. It's a mundane occurrence and still forgiveness is important. Okay, let's just look at a few more. They should have known better. Or they did know better. <laughs> that, that kind of should... Also 
takes you in circles. And you can feel your whole body tense when you say it. They should have known better. And then making love conditional in either direction about yourself. If I was lovable, this wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have behaved that way. Or, if they loved me, they would have or wouldn't have. Or, in order to love them, they have to. Any form of making love conditional creates more suffering. I want to be very clear that that's different from boundaries. Setting a boundary doesn't mean closing your heart to love. It may mean not spending time with someone again in this lifetime. My dream for that decision is it it doesn't require closing your heart. Life-serving boundary is set from connection with your own heart and clarity about what truly contributes to thriving for yourself and others. The last thought I'd like to name that contributes to suffering is shaking your fist at the universe. Why am I being punished? Why isn't someone helping me up there? Maybe you use the word God, or my guides, or the universe, or... But there's either some specific or vague sense of being abandoned by a greater power and or being punished. So these are all thoughts you can watch for in yourself and hopefully with a supportive presence, with someone who's very skilled at listening with empathy, you can say these things out loud so that you can see all the way through them to the feelings and needs underneath and to the wise action you would like to take regarding that situation. Let's look at the third aspect of spiritual practice that the process of forgiveness helps to strengthen. compassion and access to compassion, which allows life-serving boundaries because it is an expansive state in which you have access to your skills. So already we want to be clear that compassion doesn't mean submitting or resigning yourself to what happened or letting something go. When we access compassion, when we truly access compassion, we typically learn something more about how someone arrived at a state of body, heart, and mind that led them to taking an action that had an impact on others, a negative impact on others.
Each time you attempt to understand how the human body, heart, and mind reacts to pain and trauma and a lack of healing and how this shows up in behavior that doesn't serve life, you strengthen your ability to find compassion. Often forgiveness requires us to really enter into another's world. When you do this, when you enter into another's world, it has this added benefit of releasing ideas that their actions and their behaviors and their decisions are about you. You start to see, the more you understand, the more you see in a grounded way that people's actions and behaviors are about them. Often I think of my dad when I think of a very long-term process of forgiveness. It may take the rest of my life. But it's come a long ways. I remember a moment of releasing myself from the anger around what he did at a certain level releasing that anger, and seeing his life so clearly, seeing how he was born with a health issue and had several surgeries, so there was an immediate trauma right from birth, trauma for him. And then he couldn't be with his parents because he needed a nurse, and then when he was with his parents, his father was an alcoholic and he received physical abuse, the man had no chance, really, not to live and act from incredible amounts of trauma at a time growing up in the Great Depression of the 1920s, when an understanding of how to heal trauma was very basic, or not even present in his circles at all, I'm sure. And seeing that, ever more clearly and understanding that ever more clearly and of course doing other healing work. It's easy to release that his behavior was never about me. Our Nina Kashtan has four phrases that help with easy access and help us remember ah, other people's behavior is not about us. She has four things to remember. Usually I can only remember three. I'll say the four here. That person didn't see. They couldn't see the impact they were having in the moment. Or they didn't remember what was needed in the moment and behaved in a way that didn't meet needs or they were confused about what was helpful or unhelpful, or they temporarily lost access to the sense of wisdom, compassion, and skills that they had cultivated. Say them again. Number one, they didn't see. Number two, they didn't remember. Number three, they were confused. And number four, they lost access temporarily. I really like that last one. For me, it really helps when I 
am angry with someone or disappointed because I'm thinking, oh, but I've seen them behave differently. I know they have those skills. And then I remember, oh, as human beings, we temporarily lose access. Typically, within a state of reactivity. It's part of the definition of reactivity is a temporary loss of access. So as we enter into a process of forgiveness, which briefly I'll state again here, I stated kind of throughout this whole podcast, a process of forgiveness which first includes self-care and your own healing work. It includes the willingness to attend to a stuck place in you. which rests on a very foundational understanding of forgiveness that we named, that forgiveness is about me returning to my heart. Forgiveness is not about you restoring someone's goodness or making a commentary on their behavior, whether saying it was okay or not okay. When you understand forgiveness about a process as a process of returning to your own heart, ah, some tightness will already release. Because of course you want to come home to your own heart. Of course you do. Hmm. And with that understanding, you can seek care for yourself, empathy for what happened, Engage in a healing process of your choice with a therapist or with a group or with a group of friends who are skilled and present. And as you engage that process of empathy for your experience, you enter into mourning and grief for what happened, for what you might have wished would have happened, allowing that dream, right, with my dad, as I grieved what happened, I allowed the dream of a father who was safe and present and caring and predictable, (laughs) happy. And when I imagine what I would have wanted, I can feel the grief of, ah, that didn't happen. And there was so much impact So usually there's layers and layers of grief, assuming you're in a process of forgiveness over something that was quite big in your life. Then there's layers of grief because you connect the dots. Ah, Not having a father who was predictable and kind and caring. Then all these other things happened, right? All this other suffering occurred, which then created more limits in your life, for example. So entering into mourning is a process of accepting what happened. And of course, acceptance doesn't mean approval. Acceptance is the simple act of saying, this happened, and I'm not resisting it. This happened. 
And maybe the very next step is, this happened and I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm safe now. I'm okay now. I can live with the reality of this and continue to pursue my own well-being, which includes all of the three things we said before, right? Loving and being loved, contributing, having meaning and purpose, and acting from a sense of agency. In the last step of forgiveness, you would likely discern boundaries. Having returned to a sense of flow and expansion in me, I now have a sense of what truly will be wise around boundaries. Let me restate that process of forgiveness in a shorter form. Forgiveness begins with the understanding that it's about returning to your own heart. And from that foundation, you make a choice to care for a stuck place in yourself. Caring for yourself includes empathy and healing, which allows a process of mourning and grief, which leads to a sense of acceptance of what is or what happened, which then builds confidence that you're okay, a sense of groundedness in your own sense of well-being and your ability to continue to transform and cultivate well-being. Such an important process for your life, for your own relationship with your heart, and for your relationship with others. And that last step is entering back into your relationship with others from a process of forgiveness and deserving, discerning, life-serving boundaries the last step in a process of forgiveness. Having healed your own heart and entered into compassion for yourself and the other person, what boundaries will you set that truly will support that relationship? Which includes having that relationship from a distance, just within your own heart. I hope this has been helpful for you in turning towards forgiveness in your life and creating the flow and compassion and expansion and wisdom that helps you thrive. Thank you for being with me. Radiating love from my heart to yours. You can find free resources and information about Mindful Compassionate Dialogue, as well as WiseHeart's live offerings and self-paced workshops online at www.wiseheartpdx.org.
You can also connect with WiseHeart on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, or by emailing info at wiseheartpdx.org.